guys, welcome to Rankin Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every horror movie ever made from best to worst. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? It's good. Um, at the time of recording, we're in that wonderful period between Christmas and New Year's where oh, yes. I don't have to work, so time has meant nothing. And my child and I have just been playing video games. Yeah. Every day. I I feel like everybody in between Christmas Day and New Year's Eve, like, we all just look like the two Jeremy Ironses and Dead Ringers toward the end of the movie, where we're just, like, in a room full of, like, chip wrappers and dishes, and we're all just, like, muttering nonsense into the ground. It's so weird because, um... What I, I imagine some people have been living their entire uh, 2020 like like the end of Dead Ringers. <laughs> uh, and I really envy people that um, that have been able to just sink into a non-human uh, state of existence. Yeah, and actually now that I think about it, like the, the bit in Dead Ringers where um, they're like, hey, it's our birthday today. And then one of them's like, yeah, we've got cake. And he's like, do we have ice cream? And the other one's like, no, we don't. And he's just like... I want ice cream is like, that's how I feel during this entire pandemic because I can't go like go out to a bar or just order a pizza. Buddy, I learned that uh, the grocery chain Aldi delivers for free. No shit. It's a game changer. Oh, that's a genuine game changer. Fuck. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it's very good. Oh man. So what, uh, so what ghoul shit or not even just ghoul shit. I think we're, in quarantine, everything kind of becomes ghoul shit. What activities have you been ensconced in? Okay, so I actually have been playing a ghoulish video game. Have you heard of Helltaker? No, but that's a great fucking time. It's Helltaker. a game on Steam where you are basically John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. You're wearing a white disco suit. What? So you wake up one day and go, Demon Harem. I have to have a Demon Harem. <laughs> So the video game is half Sokoban, a video game where you just are moving blocks in order to get to a sexy demon girl because you only have like 20 moves or the the ground of hell catches you on fire and sucks you in. Uh-huh. And then once you actually make it to the demon girls, it turns into a visual novel uh, where you have to say the right thing to woo the demon girl to get her to join your harem. Oh, shit, so it just becomes a demon dating sim? Yeah, it's half demon dating sim, half puzzle. And when you need help with the puzzles, it mm -hmm. goes back into dating sim because you can ask the girls in your harem, hey, how do I beat this level? <laughs> this is fucking incredible. Also, I love the name Helltaker because immediately it's like, so you take hell or you are taken by like it's one of those titles it's like i know that i like the word hell and the word taker <laughs> and we're off to the races let's dive into the movie we're doing this week uh so oh, this man. oh I'm boy i'm so pleased with this boy howdy it is uh so uh th this week we are doing uh the movie stage fright uh from 2014 which is a musical horror comedy Yes. Now, this was a listener request. It came in through our email, and if anyone wants to request a movie, they can just shoot us an email at rankandvilecast at gmail.com. Thank you for the request, also. And um, Jacob asked us to watch this. Now, this is on Tubi. Uh, however, it is also available on DVD, and I cannot stress that the DVD, uh, I can't stress enough that the DVD has a sing-along special feature. Oh, that's what you want, I think. That's yes. Does it have like a little bouncing ball then? Oh yeah, it's it's totally worth the money. Oh, that's uh, lovely. This was also a movie that I found at Dollar Tree for a dollar, so. Mm -hmm. Oh wow, that's, you know what? This is the a movie. true cyberpunk dystopia is it is cheaper to buy physical media than digital media anymore. <laughs> yeah, to just like, and when you buy the digital media, you're not even actually buying it. You're just buying access to it. Like there's no, anyway, I feel like every episode we need to have at least one moment where we like spike the camera and go own physical media. It will outlast <laughs> your digital subscriptions. Um, especially because uh, at my house this week, we uh, ran out of internet for a couple of hours um, in the evening hours when we watch stuff. And so we were forced to go like, uh, Jesus, let's look at our DVDs. And we ended up watching the Wachowski's uh, Speed Racer movie. Man. And then tapped out of it after 20 minutes because we were all just like, 
this is too much, dude. I'm not. I'm just trying to chill and have a good time. And there's. It is a movie with Speed Racer is a movie with zero chill. Yeah, yeah. It has never at any point found a mutual. So stage fright being okay. So here's the thing. Um, in college, I had a friend who was obsessed with Repo the Genetic Opera, that, and I was living with her. Um, I hate that movie now because of how many times she rewatched Repo. So I feel like I was, at the outset of Stage Fright, I was, I was predisposed to being like, fuck this, like, horror comedy musical. But here's the thing. It's great? It's very good. Um, my, my only major complaint, and we'll get into this, is that it doesn't have more music into in it. You know what it is, though, actually? And this is, uh, I realized that, but then I was also thinking of, okay, so a lot of this is a send-up of Phantom of the Opera. The, yes. thing about, the thing about Phantom of the Opera, there are three genuine bangers on that, uh, in that musical, and the rest of it is all gristle and fat. Yeah, like, it's such a send-up of Phantom of the Opera that they cast Mini Driver in it. I mean, yeah, Mini Driver, who of course played Carlotta in the the Joel Schumacher uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera movie. Um, and so for me, like, if if there's a lot of filler songs in this, I'm also kind of like, yeah, that's like everything in Phantom of the Opera that's not Music of the Night, the title track, and no, it's just those two actually. <laughs> um, it's now. Here's my question, though. When you were growing up, was your mom a, a phantom head at all? Like, was was she into Phantom of the Opera? So both my mom and dad were uh, italics theater people. Mm-hmm. Uh, close italics. Dad was an actor in community theater, and mom did the costumes for community theater. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my childhood was spent playing with Batman the Animated Series as Clayface in the back of a community theater, or oh, yeah. the back of the local uh, colleges theater, like black box theater. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I don't know what what a, what I'm beating around the bush to say is I don't know what normal is. I saw <laughs> Rocky Horror Picture Show on mute when I was like six. Oh, man, that explains and, so uh, much. Yeah. Uh, I glommed onto all of my parents' friends because in casual conversation, things were mentioned like, oh, yeah, John Paul uh, has seen Godzilla before. And I'm like, let me ask you every single question ever. I've got so many questions. Like that's. I'm yeah. not going to ask you. I don't care that you're wearing lipstick at this Halloween party. What I really want to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're asking, is you're asking who questions. would win in a fight, Godzilla versus King Kong. It's an important question. Like that's so. Yeah, like growing up in that environment, your your understanding of what is like. I mean, well, I don't know. Like, for me, like, growing up, my mom was super into Broadway and was also, like, a huge Phantom of the Opera fan. Um, That play... The thing is, I hate Andrew Lloyd Webber, but the thing about... The thing about it is, Phantom of the Opera is not good. But you know what it does have? A fucking banger of an opening track with the... Like, I, I... There's no irony. I am capable of zero irony around how cool that opening is. I think you also have to note that every time people talk about Phantom of the Opera, they say, how about that chandelier? I mean, yeah, oh, actually, yeah, excuse me. It's There are three things about it. It's the title track, music of the night, and that fucking chandelier. <laughs> like, that's that's what you're that's what you're buying a ticket for. Um, stage fright. Okay, so we, we get the opening scene featuring, I shit you not, Mini fucking Driver. I yelled, honestly, when Mini Driver popped up. Yeah. It's great casting. It's like the best get of the whole movie. And it also stars Meatloaf. <laughs> also starring Meatloaf, which by the way, uh, I'm ride or die for Meatloaf. Like I, I'm, I very consciously don't pay attention to any of his political beliefs because I love <laughs> Meatloaf so much. You know, what's really interesting is the political section of Meatloaf's Wikipedia page. It's, it's a lot. He, yeah. He's, he's a, yeah. but you know, I also respect Meatloaf so much as a side note. Because are you familiar with where he got his stage name? Uh, isn't it because of like abuse from his father? Yeah, his father who abused the shit out of him and actually stabbed him at one point, like his horrible father who because, you know, he was a fat kid and his dad called him Meatloaf as an insult. I respect so much that as an adult, Meatloaf was like, you know what? That's my fucking name now. I'm gonna be Meatloaf and I'm gonna be a rock star named Meatloaf. Like that's <laughs> That's the dopest shit I've ever heard. I'm gonna get a badass motorcycle. I'm gonna get so many goddamn candelabras on stage. 
<laughs> then you'll see. You'll all see. Um, but so the, the the movie opens and we get this uh, opening track that's like a, a, a takeoff on uh, Phantom of the Opera called The Haunting of the Opera. Um, and the it opens with a guy like a, a guy getting stabbed. And then you realize that like, oh, this is all on stage and an audience is watching. And Minnie Driver is the like Sarah yeah, Brightman. So it's one of those fake outs. They pull the camera back and it's... Uh pause then we pull back and we see in the wings of the theater two little moppets watching starstruck and the best stage manager in uh motion picture ever this guy is amazing <laughs> yeah i now the thing is he has a very I, I he's sort of like audibly gay but in a way that made me worry that this movie was like this is a straight actor doing his best like jack from will and grace because uh, he's like, ah, oh, your mom is fierce, and it's, I think he actually is gay. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it 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 rang true. I will this say is... that it felt like people that I also have worked with in community theater. Oh, definitely. And I mean, like this movie, a thing that I appreciate about it, it's sort of ambiently gay with the kids in this movie. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and it even, we'll get to the, the gay jokes in a moment. What I like about it is it knows exactly who its audience is. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's not going to make fun of the LGBT community because it comes from a bunch of theater nerds. Like, it's very yeah. clear that the two guys that wrote a uh, rock opera horror movie mm-hmm. about fan of the opera are not going to stoop to low hanging fruit uh, of, of like gay jokes. Yeah, you, they know what side of the bread their butter's on. It's like um, when I uh, was in the one act festival in college, where like you know a bunch of student directors would like do a one act play in like big blocks to sort of cut their teeth on directing. I remember when we were doing auditions, um, the the head of the department at the time, Graham. Uh, was doing this uh, thing to this room full of people where he was, you know, sort of talking about, like, uh, you know, for some of these roles, you're going to have to be okay with cursing. If you're homophobic, why are you in theater? Um, (laughs) Where it's just like, yeah, no, this is the land of the gays. Um, Now, the thing about The Haunting of the Opera, the name of the main villain is Opera Ghost. Which is, (laughs) like, guys, you couldn't find another opera okay all right opera but ghost i also the killer. love that throughout this movie opera ghost is a perfect synthesis of roxo the rock and roll clown <laughs> and freddy krueger that's yeah god he is spitting out so many freddy krueger one-liners later in this thing it is it is egregious and he's um, got this raspy um guy in a heavy metal parking lot voice yeah <laughs> it's just like surprise surprise bitches like it's just <laughs> it's it's truly incredible um the thing wraps and then we get mini driver getting uh sort of hugged from behind by somebody in a cloak and a mask and but, then but, oh please you're, you're forgetting um so the kids in the audience go back to see their mom and it's like your mom's a star and she's amazing mm-hmm. and we see uh meatloaf's very bizarre uh lip carpet for this movie oh boy howdy that mustache it is um i would describe that mustache as it's like he face fucked a lint trap (laughs) like it's just it's there but you're like should it be i don't think it should be there it looks like ernie's eyebrow (laughs) yes yeah yeah exactly right he yeah and and that mustache stays throughout the movie which i feel is important. yeah but what's interesting is later in the film it's uh because the this is a um introduction and then we go 10 years later it's like a natural gray for the rest of the movie so i mm-hmm. wonder if they dyed uh meatloaf's actual hair black mm-hmm. for the scene and that's why it looks so stupid. All right, like because they had to show the passage of time that he's got a white mustache now instead of a black mustache. I guess I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that God, that mustache. It is, it is truly something. Um, so, n- so the only real thing that we have to talk about is the um, the way this movie's pretty good about motifs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minnie Driver sings her daughter a little like ditty. And uh, the daughter sings this for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Now, and actually, I would say that, like, the songwriting in this, it's kind of spotty, but the bits that work, like, when it works, it totally works. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 
when it works and when it remembers what it's doing, it works really well. I think the problem is it is trying to be two separate movies. It's a musical and it's a horror movie. It's not really a horror musical. No, no, not really. I, it's it's there's music and it's a horror comedy, but it's it doesn't quite do all three of those things. And as you know, like I think on this podcast. Um, I think I get sort of harsh toward horror comedies and I'm very judgy about them because for me, I'm either like, either you need to be genuinely scary or you need to be genuinely funny and make me laugh because I think so many horror comedies are just this like mishmash and it doesn't succeed on either of those levels. And, um, and what really speaks to that is how immediately um, Mini Driver is like making out with the opera ghost in her dressing room after her kids leave. And mm-hmm. then she's like, Oh no. And the opera ghost stabs her to death and stabs the knife in her mouth. Okay. Stabs her to death. Let's this, she, they kill the shit out of mini driver in this. Like, and I wonder how much of this is the director saying, you'll make fun of theater kids, huh? Theater kids aren't tough, eh? I'll show you. I'll show you all. <laughs> These ain't your mom's theater kids. Yeah. Like, Minnie Driver, who, God bless her for being like, all right, you guys got me for about two days of shooting because you don't have, like, hire Minnie Driver full-time money. Um, but she, yeah, like, gets stabbed through the, the front of her throat and then in the back of her head, like, out through her mouth. There is just... There is so much blood during this scene that I actually, like, blurted, good God, during... Yes, it is harrowing. And we've watched a lot of very gory movies. But to go... It's jarring how uh, it shifts tonally because you Mm -hmm. don't really expect to see, you know, torture porn. Uh, But but you get it in this movie. It's... it's, You know what? And actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. The effects in this movie, pretty fucking good. Pretty fucking good. Very fucking good. Like, I never feel like I'm watching cheese, and I also never feel like I'm watching overproduced, like, we did this in Adobe After Effects. Like, yeah. It and, looks and the good. DP, now, another thing is the DP definitely focuses on that sort of washed out mid 2000s. Even though this is a oh, yeah. 2014 film, it still looks like a 2005 movie. Yeah. It's very dark colors. And what's frustrating is. The stage production uh, that's later in the movie is supposed to be bright and colorful. And we even have Ally McDonald like in this very uh, over-the-top face paint. Mm-hmm. And yet the lighting still looks like it is in a warehouse. Yeah, I think that's kind of my thing. Is I So I just, uh, for for reasons that elude me, I just uh, rewatched uh, I Will uh, Always Know What You Did Last Summer, which was the third installment in that series. And it is... <laughs> It is irredeemable a dog shit. Uh, but so much of the color, like the color in that, because this is like sort of uh, mid to late 2000s-ish. And it's just, it's washed out as hell. And it's just, it's so unpleasant to look at. Yeah. And I, I think this one, now it's, this isn't on that level, but yeah, like some of the color grading in this, you're like, what are, what are we doing? Um, it's a little um, Fincher-esque. Is that how I use that correctly? Yeah, that, check, that checks out, yeah. Yeah, and and again, I think like that David Fincher style lighting and the heavy gore is like a play from the director to be like, no, we're uh, we're serious filmmakers, and this is a horror movie. Yeah, um, which I I honestly feel like they should have gone for splashy Rob Zombie in House of a Thousand Corpses colors for this. Yeah, I think it should have looked like um, <laughs> looked like a, a vaporwave nightmare. Absolutely, it should. Um, but so uh, Minnie Driver gets uh, the flying shit murdered out of her. Um, and uh, we fast forward 10 years uh, to 2014, where um, the, the kids uh, are at a summer camp for theater kids. And it's basically... And, and this opening musical number is jaw-droppingly good. It's incredible. Um, now, the thing that I realized, this this is a movie that was made by theater kids who kind of hate theater kids. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is, same. All theater kids, I think. Yeah, yeah. which I, I think it's pretty relatable. It's like, yeah, I'm a theater kid. Fuck theater kids. <laughs> um, which, side note here, I miss being in plays. Like, it's been a, it's been a while and there's a quarantine on. And I, I realized the other day, like, I really miss being in, in plays. Like... I don't know. I, I, I was kind of like Googling like my local community theater and seeing what was popping. And let me tell you, not a goddamn thing right now. 
Um, as as should be. Yeah, but. yeah. Which as as is as is uh, correct. Um, but yeah, we get the song about how like this is the only place where we get to be who we really are. Parentheses gay. Um, and there's a character who it's like a running gag where he keeps protesting that he's super straight and likes women and he's actually closeted. Yeah. Well, the thing is. Uh... I believe the line is, I'm gay, but not in that way. Theater makes me gay. And the <laughs> company says, but we're not here to judge. So, like, the whole... Th- and then another the one of the other characters who is actually out says, and I'm actually gay. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, like... Honestly, I, I, I do like the idea that, like, you know what? I was a perfectly straight man of God, but then I joined a community theater production of Our Town. Now I just can't stop sucking dick. <laughs> Like that's just that's how they get you. You do one, you do one production of Pippin, and suddenly you're just awash in a sea of dicks, and there's just there's no, there's nothing for it. Um, but the so the summer camp uh, for theater kids is run by motherfucking Meatloaf, who he has the constant look of like a car salesman who's always afraid he's about to lose a sale. Yeah, and I guess what happened was he was a big time Broadway producer and. Mini Driver was his muse, or like his his main uh, pull. And when she was murdered, it ruined his career. So he had to open up a summer camp. Now, my question is, if we're going with Phantom of the Opera, are, is that to say that Meatloaf is Andrew Lloyd Webber and Mini Driver is Sarah Brightman? <laughs> I mean... Like... Yeah. And so he's, you know, sort of like he's uh, fallen from grace and he's running a summer camp for kids and... Um, they now we are introduced to like one of the main uh antagonists of the thing um his name is Artie and now i'm just going to i'm just going to throw this out there nobody in a leather fedora makes good decisions no not at all like that's just there's there's something wrong there if you're wearing a, a leather fedora uh, and he is going to be the director of a revival of the haunting of the opera and his big announcement is we're going to make it Japanese. <laughs> We're going to, yeah, it's, so Kabuki, but the thing is, that's not actually Kabuki. You're just doing Kabuki makeup. Yeah, it's, it's very, it also speaks very much to community theater. And we're going to do Shakespeare, but in a circus. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I've seen, I, I saw a production once of uh, King Lear that was like, but it's going to be in Pictish. And it's going to be this like p- period of time that nobody knows fucking anything about. And it was just like. That's so... There was one production of Hamlet I saw that was that took place in modern day, and I will never fucking forget this. There were two things about this performance that uh, stand out to me. One of them, um, Hamlet's father was projected onto a screen and had this voice that was down-tuned to be like, Hamlet, I'm your father. <laughs> and everybody in the audience is like physically trying not to laugh at this. And then when Rosencrantz and Guildenstern come on stage, they're both carrying a surfboard for reasons that are never explained. Anyway. I saw a modern production of Hamlet where Hamlet had a high-low haircut. Like, the very um, (laughs) blood-on-the-dance-floor MySpace kid haircut. And it was very bad. But also they use swords. Because... Oh, yeah. Oh, you you gotta use swords, even if you look like you're the lead singer of Hawthorne Heights. (laughs) God, I, I, theater is so ridiculous. I think this is why, like, Waiting for Guffman works on so many levels. And like, in many ways, this movie, because this is actually the kind of shenanigans that happens at a summer theater camp. Oh, yeah. And now, actually, a thing that I appreciate and love about this movie is that the kids working the booth and, like, the stage managers and, like, the prop managers and carpenters and stuff, they get a lot of face time, and we get to look at them and see what they're doing, and they get to be actual characters. Yeah, That's and, and one of them actually even becomes a hero because he he knows how to use electrical work. Now, the thing, the thing about that electrical work, my favorite bit of this, I think, is that we've got, like, a nine-year-old kid full-on using a skill saw with no supervision from anybody. Just like, whatever. J- Jeremy's fine. Just give him the fucking skill saw. And he's, it's like it's bigger than he is. <laughs> and he's just uh, building a thing. It, it's, it's incredible. Um, but also very much my community theater experience of, oh, you've never held a power tool before? Here, have a saw and put these two flats <laughs> together. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, it's very sort of, uh, like, crash course, like, all right, well, you gotta figure it out. 
Um, <laughs> the the two main characters of the thing uh, are, of course, the the kiddos from the opening. Uh, their names are uh, Camilla and Buddy, and Camilla. Um, being the daughter of a, you know, Broadway uh, star, um, I think wants to follow in her mother's footsteps. And she wants to be the lead in this apparently Kabuki-inspired production of The Haunting of the Opera. And um, because they're the adoptive children of Meatloaf, because the, produ- the producer was the only one that was, like, next of kin, they mm-hmm. have to work in the kitchen of the summer camp. yeah. So it's really it's, the, it's he's not so much meatloaf as summer sausage because he's very <laughs> he's very camp focused I think um, and yeah so yeah, we they they don't totally I, I didn't actually realize until partway through that he was their like adoptive parent after the death it's, of... it's not really um, explained well uh, until the the third act yeah and buddy is very anti-theater and rightfully so having his mother uh being murdered in a play he's like you can't sis you can't audition we're not theater people we're we're cafeteria people you know what actually that's a that's a good uh, get a, like if, if you know because i love musicals but you know that's a great answer if you're like oh i don't like musicals and they're like what you think it's too gay and it's like no my mom got field dressed uh <laughs> on stage and just gored so that's you know it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth not a big fan of musicals i also really like the trope of we're not of that world <laughs> as the real <laughs> tension of the movie. Yeah. You know, Camilla is like fully on board and, you know, although my thing is, buddy, if you don't like theater or musical theater, do you realize this is musical theater camp? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you're gonna have a bad fucking time if you go to this theater camp. The Faustian Nonsense Network is here to help you produce your best work. We can edit, direct, draft, storyboard, and help your podcast increase its output and connect with the right audience. It doesn't even have to be a podcast. If you have a creative project that you want to monetize and get the most out of, Faustian Nonsense can make it happen. Come join our community and let's build something great together. I don't know. I don't know his motivation for coming along on this. Like, I, well, I get... we find out it's because his motivation is revenge. Oh, he wants to murder the shit out of everyone. Uh, now, and so... Spoiler, uh... he's the killer. <laughs> Yeah, but the killer... Now, let's get into this. We're introduced to uh, the... Now, the killer in this, I don't think... Is he actually called Opera Ghost? I mean, he is like... he He's dressed like the Opera Ghost. <laughs> he just plays Opera... Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, opera Ghost, uh, we, we keep getting these cuts to him in like an undisclosed location on the camp where he's got like a Pepe Silvia wall full of everybody's headshots. Um, and he's like, you know, sort of xing them out every time he kills someone. And he, like you said, Quincy, he sounds basically like Dr. Roxo, <laughs> where he's just constantly like, I hate musical theater. Um, and he, so every time that he's on screen, we, we, we get pure heavy metal, yeah. which I don't actually know how I feel about that. Because on one level, I'm like, it feels totally inconsistent that like, look. Guys, if you're doing a musical, like you're doing a broad, an off, off, off Broadway summer camp horror comedy, I don't know. Like, I should they be more consistent and do show tunes when he's stabbing the shit out of people, or is it like a metal motif? I don't know. So this is actually my biggest complaint about the movie: is there isn't a big final number at the very end of the movie camilla you know stumbles on stage covered in blood and she should sing her feelings because it's yes. a musical yeah that's and what it is don't do that they end it like a scary movie with a stinger yeah and i think that's because and and instead the heavy metal kind of takes the place of the finale and also the heavy metal uh is the ending credit song, which is mm-hmm. a meta narrative and is actually like one of the best things about it. Uh, did you watch the, the full credits? No, no, I didn't realize there was a stinger in the credits. Ryan, you fucked up. The, oh my God. The song of the credits is about, thank you for watching the credits. We really appreciate you coming to see this at the theater. And then it, and then the, the singer goes, wait a minute. How are you watching this movie? I really hope you're not pirating it. Pirating is stealing, <laughs> but it also feels so, so good. I'm going to pirate the shit out of so much stuff tonight. We love pirating. 
God damn. That's incredible. I should have... Ugh. All right, so now I got to go back and, and watch that on the on the credits. But um, my, my complaint is, although that is very good and probably the second funniest thing in the movie, mm-hmm. we get that instead of a true Broadway finale. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. It's like, look, you made this movie ostensibly, like for theater kids who were also horror kids and also there's a broadway opening number so like symmetrically they should close in the same style yeah i think that's what i wanted is like i don't think that there there are no singles from this really like there's not like they don't have that uh defying gravity song that everybody has to take away like even that repo thing there's like a couple of numbers in that that i'm like okay that's like the that's like the single you'd release um, I wish that this movie had gone harder on the actual musical part of it. Because, like, for me, like, I mean, the heavy metal... I, my other gripe is that the heavy metal doesn't quite know what genre of heavy metal it wants to be. Um, it's, it's very much in that... What kind of music is it? Metal. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but what kind of music is this? Well, because you've got, And maybe like, that's also because I've spent so much time uh, listening to extreme metal and getting so granular... And, mm-hmm. you know, going, well, actually, this is, um, oh, yeah, uh, extreme death metal. This is death grind, not, uh, blackened crust punk. This isn't, this is metal core, not grind core, you fucking, like, that's, <laughs> yeah, you really, I mean, and that's my thing is, I, we do definitely get in the weeds genre wise, but I feel like for me, it's like the, the riffs were like kind of new metal, but the pace was like thrash metal, but the singer sounds like glam metal. Yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't really, stick the joke in the same way which also again like i don't know if that's by design because they're clearly theater kids first and like they're like well (laughs) metal is funny so we'll do metal oh Um, yeah oh that's what it is it's theater kids and their imagination of what metal probably sounds like yeah which again only makes me more frustrated that they didn't just stick with what they knew and did some andrew lloyd webber ass uh, numbers in this absolutely like where's the tunes i yeah yeah so that's you and know maybe that's supposed to be okay so like the phantom and fan of the opera has like killer pipes and so mm-hmm. this guy can't he's got to have like really stupid a really stupid voice yeah but that also doesn't work because he's got a good glam metal voice yeah that's honestly it kind of sounds like it's it almost goes a little bit beyond like glam metal and becomes like king diamond yeah like, it's very, very falsetto and very screechy. But yeah, I that's... I don't know. It's almost like... I can't tell if this movie is embarrassed to be Broadway or embarrassed to be metal. Like, it it, 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 it doesn't quite stick the landing on that on that front. Um, but, I will say there's a killer guitar solo by the killer. Oh, uh, there's a guitar solo with a knife, by the way. <laughs> Um, a where, knife is a fucking capo. It's so look, good. My thing was, I kept looking at it. It's like the knife was tucked under the strings, and I'm like, but that wouldn't that would ruin your tone. What are we doing? <laughs> um, now you know what it is. My problem is a guitar wielding killer in a movie. I've already been spoiled by sleep uh, by uh, Slumber Party Massacre two and the greaser with the drill guitar. Like, I, I did like that we got the fucking guitar solo with the knife. That was pretty dope. Um, so. All right, so we're introduced to one of the antagonists of the movie, who is oh no, we've already I've already uh, mentioned him the, the the little shit with the leather hat, Artie, who mu- so much of this movie, and I'm not wild on this part, is Artie like trying to pressure Camilla into fucking him in order to be cast as the lead in the Haunting of the Opera. Yeah, except um, unfortunately, that's very true to life oh it's true to life but i think for me it's like oh this is like a teenage kid though like i don't ugh, like i oh, don't yeah, know she's canonically in the film like 17 yeah yeah and so like so much of this movie is just him being a little shitbird trying to like coerce her into it for career purposes um now th- her she's got this like rival named liz who also w- really wants to be the lead and there's i feel like there's uh, a few threads that never quite come together, but like Liz yeah, is a, they do a rival. The whole, like Liz, um, Carrie homage at the end, and it doesn't quite stick. And yeah, yeah, but Camilla. So so Camilla gets into this camp largely because of uh, this guy who uh, his name his name is Joel, and Joel is the 
the Phantom of the Opera character, who he's like the guy who lurks behind the stage, and because he's like part of the crew, um, and he's a capital N capital G nice guy for a lot of this. Oh, for sure, he actually never gets a resolution either. No, no, uh, and his thing is that you know it's sort of like um, in Wet Hot American Summer with like Michael Showalter and Paul Rudd, and Paul Rudd is Artie. Um, where she's very sort of like, uh, you shouldn't make out with that guy to try to get the lead in this play. You should make out with me for free. You can help me change the gels. Like, he's just kind of a weird little Quasimodo guy who, I don't know, he's, he's very creepy and very watchy, you know? Yeah. Um, which, as someone who did tech, Mm -hmm. uh, we can smell our own, and (laughs) yeah, it's really unfortunate that there's not a lot of, um education out there for i don't know maybe theater's gotten better i feel like the mm-hmm. the youths are pretty woke maybe they're <laughs> they're t- tuned into like getting rid of nice guy shit but yeah i don't know yeah one hopes um but so uh we get the the final thing with Artie where he's just like all right you've got an ultimatum either you fuck me or i'm gonna give the opening night performance to your rival liz and Carmela starts to do the thing, and she's like, "All right, fuck it. Just I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, just, just you know, grin and bear it. And I'm just gonna go ahead and try to do this." But then she just can't bring herself to do it because she's like making out with him, and she's like, "How would you feel if I had just ended this and went back to my bunk?" Uh, and Artie was like, "Whatever. I'm gonna give it to Liz." She leaves, and Artie gets super murdered. Super, super murdered. Man, and this is where we get the first of the Freddy Krueger one-liners, I think, from uh, Opera Ghost, where Coast he nails, Coast. He, yeah, Coast to Coast, he nails the kid's, uh, le- like, foot to the floor and then yells, break a leg, and kicks his leg really hard and his foot comes off. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty dope, actually, this death scene. And again, the gore effects are insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, top-notch. Um, so, I... Obviously, you know, now my, my, my beef right now is that we are fully, like, uh, 45 minutes into the movie. This is the first murder since Mini Driver. Like, yeah. I, you know what? I need more murder in this movie. It really has um, a fascinating pacing issue because it's like we see auditions and then all of a sudden it's like uh, opening night. Yeah, and then, yeah, we don't really get a lot of, like, rehearsal or anything. We also, uh, yeah, the pacing is a problem. I think it's that, for me, it's almost like they realize, like, wait a minute. Oh, shit, we need an actual body count. Because for me, I'm like, you're you're at a summer camp. The, the, the ground should be slick with dead children by <laughs> an hour into this movie. Like, we gotta start killing off kids, folks. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, so Roger, uh, uh, Meatloaf's character... Decides to cover up um, Artie's brutal, horrific murder uh, by uh, telling everybody that he died in a car crash. But then also dumping his body in a dumpster on the campgrounds. <laughs> yeah, and then at this point, you know, we get this uh, uh, speech. Now, Meatloaf talks to a Broadway bigwig, I think. Is that who that is? Yes, because at the end of the movie, he um, he's like, Camilla's new um, keeper. Yeah, yeah, just like this guy. He's her Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, yeah, and he, now, he basically is sort of like, ah, if you put on this production of The Haunting of the Opera at your summer camp, I'll come and watch it, and this might, you know, sort of springboard you back into the limelight. Uh, So we get the speech from Meatloaf to the kids where he's just like, hey, folks, I know you're the director of the thing was like fed like fargoed through a wood chipper and you know that's rough for sure but guys the show must go on we got to do it and i love that the kids start busting his balls and being like isn't it wrong to sing and dance when somebody's just died (laughs) hey this is really fucked up like it's just it's yeah and then he you know he does a song about how um you know you got to sing through the pain and you got to respond to horrible things by being in broadway musicals and this is like, again, this is our Broadway style song. It's like they put more effort into the metal songs. That's a great point. Like, so many of the songs are just like, I don't know, it, it, it's like a, a mean parody of a Broadway song. 
yeah in, it's instead of an actual Broadway song. Wan. Yeah. Um and so he convinces all the campers to put on the thing. Um and then so the night of uh Joel the creepy Quasimodo uh tech guy uh comes to Camilla and he's just like, Hey, um the murderer is still out there. Artie was hor- horrifically killed, not that he didn't deserve it, because he was a little shitbird. No no two ways about that. But he is super dead and the killer is still out there and Camilla's like lol whatever like she doesn't really she doesn't really listen to him um and then so this is when we start getting people killed like this is where the murdering starts yes and again the gore effects do not hold back whatsoever man you know what i this movie apparently made about seven thousand dollars at the box office and i think it i i i I hope that covered the cost of all the fake blood (laughs) it Um, is so much blood yeah, it's incredible. Now, so uh, I, I I love, by the way, any gag in a horror movie where somebody is on a stage and they're dodging stuff falling from the rafters, like lighting and shit. Love that. So we, we get the night of the thing. Um, and w- there, there starts to be a number and then very quickly things go awry for this uh, kabuki production. And this is not fun for me. Again, again, as a community theater person, I've been party to so many catastrophic events like you know everything Mm -hmm. feels bad when you're backstage and you know it's wrong but i was um the stage crew in a um, high school production of footloose the musical where uh, the curtain would not rise because it was a weighted mechanical curtain and we were in a public school so we literally could not put on the show because we could not open the curtain. Oh god, I just got an anxiety. So everything had to be done in front of the proscenium and when we got to about oh after the first scene and we had the curtain rise, we're like, "Sorry folks, <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow." <laughs> that's oh god. I think the that's on stage mishaps. I still get nightmares about like forgetting like lines on stage. Like there's always that terror of like there are so many people watching this and somebody doesn't have their shit together and everything is terrifying. Um, and that happens in this because most of the cast has been murdered. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is very embarrassing for them. Um, and, you know, we get uh, the, the thing opens and everyone's like, hey, has anybody seen the like three people that need to be on stage right now? And there's nobody. So um, the rest of the people on stage need to cover up for this so that the audience doesn't know what's going on. Like, it was so it was so uncomfortable to watch them trying to... Basically what happens is that two of the actors play an extended game of grab-ass on stage with, like, a, a one of those, like, shade hats. Yeah, it is, uh... a something. It is, it is definitely something. Um, and at this point backstage, we get, uh, Camilla... Uh, walks in on Opera Ghost uh, trying to kill Roger. Um, and then, you know, we... we uh, sorry, Roger Meatloaf Meatloaf. Um, and he... It's revealed, obviously, obviously that uh, Opera Ghost is Buddy, who has just been murdering everybody else at this camp for and, reasons. And it really is the I'm crazy because... Uh, mommy got murdered when i was a kid and he literally says like i'm getting revenge for mommy and it's very like tropey lazy writing and i'm not too keen on that either yeah but i do yeah i don't want to spoil the entire end of the movie yeah okay so yeah so let's not uh go into you know everything that happens but Essentially, the thing is, I do sort of, uh, I love it when a, a development happens in a horror movie that I that I saw coming that I get to go, yes, that makes sense, with Buddy being <laughs> opera ghost. Like, yeah, I, all right, that checks out. Uh, but I do he appreciate is, that that's not the only plot twist, because it was yeah. very telegraphed. So it's like, oh, psych, there's a real plot twist. We've tricked you. Yeah, there's kind of a, yeah, like man behind the man thing. Now, what's incredible is that uh, all of this works out to uh, Camilla gets chased and then um, the somebody, a thing happens with a buzzsaw and there's a lot of blood and it's just so much blood. And then right at this moment. Again, it's Camilla is 
fending for her life from the killer and mm-hmm. uh, tries to, to turn on the skill saw and it won't turn on because it's not plugged in. And who rushes to plug in the extension cord? But Joel, the helpful, creepy watcher guy who and hangs out in and... the ocean of blood that Man. this skill saw gushes forth from this killer is yes. fucking wild old, old faithful like it is it is so much um and so uh, you know he so uh, there's a lot of blood and uh camilla winds up on stage uh with a dead body uh, not hers and there's so much blood and she's got like a buzz saw and then the audience now this has to be the most avant-garde theater production in history because essentially what the audience has watched up until now is two yutzes running around on stage in kabuki makeup and trying to make it up as they go along well the the pianist has been doing the and it's just been that for like presumably an hour and a half plus intermission and then at the very end of that we have a corpse and a river of blood and a skill saw. We also have ADR of audience saying, is it over yet? <laughs> and then going, oh wait, it's not. And they actually show a point where the audience tries to stand up and leave. And then they all dejectedly sit back down in their theater <laughs> seats. Which, as someone who's seen a high school production of The Crucible, they... Oof, buddy. That, yeah, it's that's... my name. <laughs> they want my name. <laughs> Oh, I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. Like, it's just, yeah, an hour and a half Thank of that. Thank goodness for Middle Tennessee Productions of the Crucible. Oh, God fucking bless. Uh, so, honestly, if I'm a member of this audience, and I've watched an extended bad improv exercise for an hour and a half, but the doors have been locked because it's the fucking reins of a Castamere or something. <laughs> if, if I've sat through that much nonsense grab-ass, and then suddenly there's a dead body... I'm going to be like, all right, this is picking up. I'm going to be excited about this development. At least it's something. Which, okay, so the end end of the movie is the Broadway producer's like, you know what? Pretty good show. I like it. And signs Camilla on to be a Broadway star. (laughs) I love that. Now, this guy just watched nothing for an hour and a half and then a dead body and went, you're going to be a star. And like, <laughs> you know, this this launched her to the next level. Um, my question is, they have to have realized at some point that that was a dead fucking body on stage that had just been like Julie End with a skill saw. <laughs> Did anybody ask any questions after that? Or was the guy like, oh, shit, wait. No, before before I make you a star, did you murder a guy with a hardware equipment? Or what's with, what's with the... It's not important. It's so um, fascinating because when we watched um, Uncle Peckerhead, we were like, mm-hmm. man, fuck this ending. They're actually going through the court trial and their acquittal. And that's yeah. really stupid. Yeah. And that then I'm... we've turned around and go, how dare they not provide us with the court trial and the real world repercussions? <laughs> It's true. We're we're very fickle on on watching that follow through. Um, there there was one bit that fucking killed me, which is there's been a red herring throughout this movie, which was uh, that this camp takes place. Um, uh, there's like a, a, a groundskeeper Willie guy who's yeah. like a sort of local yokel. He's got like gross teeth, and he's meant to be a sort of scary hillbilly character. Um, and then when uh, Camilla pops out on stage with a dead body and a skill saw and roughly all of the blood in the world. Somebody starts a slow clap, and you just get everybody doing a slow clap, and then it cuts to, in the audience, the scary hillbilly doing a slow clap and doing, a, like, a, a grin and a slow head shake, like, ah, oh, man, they've done it again. Like, <laughs> I, I, I lulled. Like, that was that was so fucking funny. Um, and then we cut to uh, the future, where there's a, uh, there's a Broadway uh, revival of uh, The Haunting of the Opera. We get no shit. Dan Levy from Shit's Creek as an interviewer. Yeah. Um I I lost my shit. Like there are so many people in this movie that pop up and I'm like, "What are you doing here?" 
Um, and Camilla is in the exact same dressing room that her mother was murdered in, and now she's the star of the show. And then we get a jump scare for no goddamn reason. Which is, that's a choice, by the way, is them going, so you're fine with this dressing room, right? Like, you don't have any, you, you, this is cool? <laughs> you, you don't, don't have mind any... this. It's just that catering is, you know, they've got the other room, and we really can't, you know, you 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 get it, just... Try to avoid that spot on the carpet that was definitely stained by your mother's arterial blood. You'll be fine. Broadway. Um, the, the jump scare, the jump scare sucks shit to me because yeah, it's very bad. So, which which makes me want to ask: Should they have just ended it with the end of the play? Yeah, I think so. I think they should have just ended it with that because the, the way that they did the jump cut, jump cut, jump cut. Um, jump scut? Uh, she's in front of her mirror in her dressing room, and she's just sort of, like, you know, looking forward tensely, and then Opera Ghost bursts out of the mirror, uh, as, it, it's like, it's like the ending of I Know What You Did Last Summer with the breaking through the glass shower wall, um, and he just, like, bursts through the thing, and she goes, what? And then it cuts back to her, and obvi- it, apparently it was a crazy daydream. So, yeah, sure. it's... it's- very bad. Pointless. Um, so where do you want to put this on the list? So, yeah. So before we do that, is I'm glad I watched this movie. Oh, I'm very glad. I liked it quite a bit, despite my complaints. It was a yeah. good time. What's more theater kid than being persnickety and having a lot of issues with a production of a thing? <laughs> exactly. Feel... It's a perfectly serviceable production, but let's talk about every little... Uh, thing that's wrong yeah yeah which i mean that that is that is a lot of this podcast is us splitting hairs over stuff but it's you know what it's a delightful movie the a lot of the tunes are great the the metal stuff is fun if kind of incongruous the effects are the ace in the hole for this movie like i i was so goddamn impressed by how good these effects were um goddamn so looking at the list uh, all right, at number 195, we have a uh, high school horror um, quasi-classic, The Faculty. Now, The Faculty is played straight, and this is played yes. tongue firmly stuck in cheek. Yeah. Are we too irony poisoned in um, 2020? I ask because the other day on Instagram, I saw a picture of Michael Myers that said... Um, Jason is my favorite part of Friday the 13th. <laughs> and because oh, no. I hate myself, I had to read the comments. Mm-hmm. And the majority of people were legitimately angry with the joke. That's Here's the thing. Jason is a nothing character. Like, <laughs> like He was way more interesting as the kid that pops out of the lake and yells than he was with anything else he did for the duration of that series. Aside from, of course, the homoerotic shaving scene from Jason Goes to Hell, which I will stand by and defend <laughs> my dying breath. Um, I think that's a really good point, though. Like, The faculty is played straight, and this is firmly tongue-in-cheek. I feel like I want to put this above the faculty because this movie, what this is, much like a community theater production... Um, this had a handful of things that it made the most of, where it was like, all right, well, we got Mini Driver for four minutes. We have uh, a, a, a songwriter who can, you know, make a couple of songs. Meatloaf will sing, and we've got like a gallon of blood. Some of the writing doesn't really work. Some of, you know, but it's like you know, sort of tied together with like tape and prayer, where with the faculty, this is a movie that was directed by Robert Rodriguez with a script from Kevin Williamson. We had a star-studded cast of, of actors in this movie, and it is so much less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Like, it can never make... It can never totally tie everything together that it has going for it. And on this count, I feel like I want to give the edge to Stage Fright. Now, above Stage... Uh, above the faculty... At number 137 is 1987's Stage Fright. Oh, man. Oh, man. I think, man, that's... I'm I'm definitely putting this... Ooh. ooh. I can't I can't do it. I can't do it, Quincy. Which, what do you think? Stage Fright 87 is such a good actual slasher. It yeah. even has... It has perhaps the best... And here are all your friends as the killer artfully lays out every single person that's been murdered on stage on a set. 
Oh yeah, the the killer in stage, the owl killer in stage fright is the most dramatique risque ho in all of theater <laughs> horror. Like this is this bitch. Like it's 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 a lot. Um, you know, I I want to give the edge to stage fright. Now, underneath stage fright, Quincy at number one thirty nine, we have Deep Blue Sea featuring Thomas Jane and LL Cool J. Um, I feel like. I want to give the edge to Stage Fright. Now, why? Because Deep Blue Sea features a tie-in rap with LL Cool J. My hat is like a shark's fin. Um, oof, actually, good point. <laughs> Hadn't considered that. Dropping it down the list. Good point. All right. Uh, I, can't, I can't disagree with that. That's completely correct. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Uh, at number 148, we have Event Horizon uh, featuring Sam Neill and uh, Lawrence Fishburne. So... I think the question falls to, do we want a good movie or do we want a good time? You can have oh, one, yeah. you can't have both. <laughs> That's, you no, know, no, there's only, you can only hold, you, you got to put down the ducky if you want to play the saxophone. Um, <laughs> I feel like, okay, here's, here's a ranking I would feel good about because Event Horizon at least features, like, it's like the best war, it's like the best Warhammer movie never made about how... If you open up a hole in space-time, it uh, opens a portal to Christian hell. <laughs> um, and, like, that movie I have so much fondness for because it was, like, a movie immediately post-Scream that wasn't just a rip-off of Scream for being in 1997, and I respect the shit out of that. I um, also really like the late 90s, fuck it, we're going to space movie. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Because there's quite a few Hollywood productions in the late 90s that are just like, space, it's it's space time. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm firmly in favor of any franchise that just decides to go to space. Um, but so right below uh, Event Horizon, uh, at number 149, we have The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, uh, which was the Shaw Brothers uh, Hammer collab, I think. The one of two. The yeah. only horror movie that Hammer and Shaw Brothers made. They also made uh, Mr. Shatter, which is a spy thriller. But this Fuck. is, like, the good one. Fuck yeah. I that's Honestly, so I love The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires so much, but I feel like I kind of want to give the edge to stage fright, and I'll tell you why. Um, it's kind of the faculty problem for me of, like, maybe my expectations were so big for a Hammer horror uh, Shaw Brothers collab that, like, the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, I feel like it didn't quite give me the best of both of those, if that makes yeah, sense. It, what's frustrating is Hammer made Drink the Blood of Dracula about <laughs> if you drink Dracula blood, you turn into Dracula. Yeah. And the Shaw Brothers, you know, later in the future, made Seeding of a Ghost. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Honestly, that's that's a matter of, like, you know, at your prom, you just spike that punch bowl with, like, Dracula's blood, and then <laughs> Dracula prom. You've got a room full of prom Draculas. Everybody's already dressed up for for the occasion anyway. Why has um, no one made Dracula prom? I, I would go to Dracula prom at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like, you know, Legend of the Seven Gold Vampires, like, it's delightful, but I feel like they never quite tie it together in the way that I feel like Stage Fright... It also doesn't quite tie all of its elements together, but it does so much with the components it has that it's like on Gilligan's Island when the doctor could make, like, a nuclear reactor using five coconuts, but he couldn't fix a hole in the goddamn boat. Yeah, yeah, it's that sort of, like, you made something, just not what you needed to make. <laughs> and I like yes. that because Event Horizon definitely is, like, a cohesive, good movie. Mm -hmm. Uh it actually, like, stuck the landing. And this thing uh, has really, really endearing parts, but mm -hmm. is not objectively a good film. No, no, exactly. Like, there are bits of it that I love, but yeah. So I feel really good about that. So coming in uh, at our new number, 149, uh, above The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires and below Event Horizon, is Stage Fright from 2014. Quincy, do you realize one more movie added to this list and we will be at 500 movies oh no we have, we have to talk off mic on what the uh, next movie is we yeah, can't I'm panicking. screw this up <laughs> I don't know what it's gonna be um, but yeah so that's you know I'm 
Huh. It's probably gonna be like another mockbuster, like uh, Ouija Shark or something. <laughs> Jurassic Games, <laughs> like yeah, oh yeah, we're doing Ouija Shark for the for the five hundredth. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck, Quincy, where can our listeners uh, find us on the internet? Well, we have a Patreon, and uh, we just recorded a bonus episode for our five dollar patrons, where you and I talk about the Canon Films classic Cobra. Yeah, among many others. Like, this is, um, I think our Patreon is a space where uh, we either try to have, uh, like, guests guests on or to do non-horror movies that we can't rank. Although, uh, on uh, the, the episode that's going to be dropping this weekend on Cobra, there are so many horror-adjacent things in Cobra and in, you know, a lot of the other movies we do. Guys, it's so much fun to do these episodes. Also, because of the, the low stakes of not having to rank it, we, we get to just, like, talk about it. Um... So for $5, you can have access to all of those episodes. And uh, for those of you who are currently uh, patrons, guys, thank you so much. We, we love you, and we're so glad that you like what we're doing, uh, enough to give us at least 2 to $5 for what we do. Um, but it really does make a tremendous difference in terms of, like, fees um, and mm-hmm. hosting and uh, wrangling. Uh, out-of-print movies and also dollar copies of stage fright <laughs> from the Dollar Tree. That's what it is. It's like when people are being shitty about giving money to uh, houseless people, where they're like, "Well, y- y-, it's like, oh, you know, don't give, don't give uh, rank and vile your money. You know, they're just going to go back and spend it on cut-rate DVDs from the." <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah. So, guys, yeah, thank you, thank you so much for doing that. Um, yeah, we are uh, on just about every platform uh, you would want to find, guys. We also have. Uh, a bunch of uh, uh, rank and vile merch uh, available on f- uh, our uh, podcast network website, FaustianNonsense.com. Um, we have uh, shirts and mugs. We got stickers. Just an embarrassment of riches. We have a mug that says Deathmatch Wrestling, and the heart, the handle of the mug is a heart. Yeah, and it's in a, a bubbly, colorful font, which is, I, I think the, the ideal aesthetic, actually, is like, love love to watch a deathmatch wrestling. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a good time. Uh, but yeah, that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. <laughs>